I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Today, I'm joined by Edwin Abel. Edwin is the CMO at Modular, where he's responsible for taking the market their new integrated payment service for businesses that need a faster, easier, and more reliable way to move money. Previously, he led the business for marketing at Aperio in Europe, growing their business from 300K to more than 133 million in pipeline in just four years. In this episode, Edwin and I talk a lot about how he got started in the staffing industry and how that helped him build a strong foundation for success throughout his entire career, why being in a highly regulated industry makes you think really hard about your demand generation efforts, and how being the boss isn't always as fun and as glamorous as everyone may think it is. And make sure you stick around till the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways so that you can not only think about marketing differently, but implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Edwin. So you've had a really impressive career. I'd love to just hear how you got started and really what you're doing today and how you got there from, let's say, the very beginning. Good question. And well, thanks for saying impressive. I'm not not sure that's how I look on it. I sort of more landed into where I've got at the moment and and position. Uh, I think tracing back, actually, uh, I I started my career firstly in... uh, in recruiting or staffing industry. Uh, so 21 years old, uh, cold desk, I was working in IT recruitment. At the time, I had the option of going into sales roles. And um, the reason I chose staffing actually was because a lot of the other interviews I was going for was were, were really software sales or products. And actually, I couldn't really see myself being motivated at that point to sell a sort of VoIP headset or, or or something like that. And and the people aspect of recruiting and staffing was was really fascinating and I thought it would be an interesting market to go into. My mother actually also worked in that industry for 25 years and uh, I guess like anything you sometimes mirror your your parents and and so I followed the path into that particular industry. And it was it was a great learning curve. I think a lot of people bashed the the staffing industry. Uh, in terms of you know the people that work in it and and it has a reputation, but I, I look back and I think actually the four years I spent in that role was probably the most influential of my career in in that sense. It really really taught you amazing habits and skills on and discipline around what you do every single day to be successful, how you can be metric driven. It's the consistency of of what you do every day that makes a difference and it's very very hard but the the process of recruitment and staffing just has a great way of teaching you that and what it also does is give you this great knowledge of markets industries and the psychology of dealing with people which is very challenging so that was a a really tough but but um and I wouldn't necessarily say enjoyable but a a learning curve for the first four years of my career um because it was very cold sales driven and um and one thing i picked up in the last few years which is which i've held since then is the ability to think of doing something a little bit different uh, my boss was always you know do 150 calls a day and being frank i wasn't the best cold caller in the world uh, far from it and i used to get very nervous doing it and and all that type of thing i'm i'm sure that relates to a lot of people and my focus in that process was to think how do i think of a different way of approaching people. And and so I really zoned in on cold emailing at the time, which back in 2004, 2005, people were doing it, but it wasn't like it is today. 
and and yeah. I created a process around cold email. How do you be persuasive? How do you find people at the time? You know, they didn't have tools like Lusher or all these email tools. You had to guess people's email address. Um, and, and so, you know, be times I'd be typing 10 people's email in, finally you get one and, and then it would be a great way to warm calls up. So it was a more intelligent way of making cold calls. So every day I came in with 10 warm calls rather than my peers doing 150 cold calls and I found my conversion ratios were better. And, and that's an approach I've taken forward in the rest of my career in, ter- in, in thinking how you can you do things a little bit different. I then moved on to setting up my own business uh, within the salesforce.com area. It was a consulting business and uh, did that for several years. And uh, what morphed out of that actually was I, I really um, got involved in all aspects of the business um, because uh, obviously we we're a small business at the time and uh, and, and I, I, I took control of the operation stuff, the, the team management, the website. Uh, also the selling, but I, I had far more of a broader remit than my my co-founder. And 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 that actually gravitated to me like a not a career shift, but a gradual shift into um, sort of selling that business and doing a sort of marketing consultancy type type role for a few years where I went out and did advisory to startups and and CEOs and also launched my own sort of platform at the time, which was a recruitment platform. And uh, and so it wasn't like a structured path. I just ended up into doing that really through sort of learning what I enjoy doing, and then gradually moving into that side of things. And and actually, uh, at the time, I I, uh, I guess many people get this. I wasn't sure what to do next in in my career. And, and luckily, I came across a and, and landed a role with a, a US company called Apirio, who are a uh, were a well still are sorry Salesforce.com global. Uh, services partner, uh, also partnered at the time with Workday and Google. And I didn't know the type of company I was joining. I just knew I was joining to head the European marketing function, help build the team out and and, and help drive pipeline. And, uh, and it was an incredible business to work for, great leadership and uh, very forward thinking, very innovative, very collaborative and enjoyed a really good journey with them for, for, for four odd years and got acquired by a company called Wipro. Uh, I, I helped, you know, roll out and scale pipeline across the European regions and uh, and successfully helped to, to develop the, the brand and the organization in Europe and and learned a, a, a lot about pipeline generation at enterprise scale in that process. And we had some really, really strong pipeline growth from zero to sort of 100 million uh, pipeline uh, generation in that period. And and, and so I actually that was, a, it was it was an excellent learning experience, great people to work with and, and uh, very, very, uh, very, very good company. And uh, and from that, actually, I, I then joined a, um, a a venture capital group uh, called Blenheim Chalcott on one of their ventures called Hive Learning in the edtech space, which was a bit different, more back to more of a startup feel. And, and my role was was to help build the B two B sort of marketing marketing and sales engine, and and I did that and, and grew the teams for for a couple of years. And and then actually that leads me to where I am today. I joined a company called Modular, who are also part of the the Blenheim Chalcott family um, of, of VCs, which is one of the great things about them, that they have opportunities in different ventures. Uh, there was an op- there was a chance to try a different industry in financial services and fintech. Modular was looking to grow quite substantially, uh, and and that's happened. So I've been there since the turn of the year, and we've we've had an incredible growth curve. We've had several rounds of funding. We've won a, a, an award recently in the UK for grant funding. The team has scaled tremendously. We've we've hired 
across multiple regions. And at the moment, we're just gearing up for a uh, a, a very cha- you know very exciting 2020 um, with growth, new offices, you know, growth in the team, and, and working in a really exciting space, which is fintech, which uh, I know is also blossoming in the the US, but in the UK, we're really trying to lead the trail. Um, with regards to how fintechs disrupting the financial services sector. So thinking about that specifically, how would you say, you know, really leading marketing in that fintech world is different than the previous roles that you've had? Mm-hmm. It definitely is in, interestingly different. Uh, there's far more of a consideration around uh, regulations, compliance, um, making sure everything is you're doing is accurate, correct. Although fintechs are operating in a disruptive way to, you know, usurp the existing uh, banks and banking in- institutions in terms of the service, we, we still have um, the same rules with regards to how we operate. So at Modular, we are a, a regulated entity, which is which is really important because that's what gives us the ability to offer the the range of services we do. But with that, naturally comes a uh, a very strong responsibility to adhere to the same processes and regulations. And I think that's the big difference. I've never worked in a regulated environment. And what that means in real life is things, you know, things like content, the way you do demand generation, you have to be really thoughtful, really well planned. Uh, you, you can't just do things sort of off the cuff and without thinking things through. And And I think actually in some ways, it's not that I did that in previous roles, but it, having that regulatory bird—I wouldn't say burden—regulatory status is is um, really helpful in actually making you do things more thoroughly because you you have to do the demand generation correctly, and it has to be really specialist and focused. You have to your content has to be really well written, and and every statement has to be accurate. All your brand has to be accurate, and and so I think that the biggest change is adapting to that 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 kind of environment and at the same time dealing with uh, an industry which has incredible complexity uh, financial services is phenomenally co- complex compared to edtech uh, or salesforce.com there there are many many facets to it and i think learning all those intricacies and and uh, and and then how the the actual economic environment within financial services works is is fascinating but but a challenge So what's the most exciting part? Because it sounds like you really enjoy what you're doing. What's the thing that gets you really fired up in the mornings to do in your current role? Great question. A couple of things, probably. One would be I love working in a growth environment, high growth. That's exactly what Modular is going through. It's incredibly exciting. Hiring a team from scratch and and building it and getting everyone brought into a vision of, of where an organization is going. All my team are brand new this year we've got you know high high growth rates again next year and and it, you can bring this team together and bring them into a vision create a great you know group of individuals that are sort of on on a mission to do something and and that's the thing that really gets me excited in the morning is 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 the leadership uh principles of building high performing teams and then seeing people deliver on that and creating a great environment to work and then coupled with the fact it's uh, uh it, it's a real infant um, in you know it's a real market in its real infancy and there's so much opportunity in fintech and there's so much uh so much of a lens on 
on you know on, on what's happening in that industry that it's it's quite exciting and not to knock other industries at all and there's obviously lots of other good industries but uh, in terms of where it's at and what's the opportunity ahead in the next 10 years it's quite it's, it's going to be really really fascinating how it pans out One of the things that you mentioned earlier when you were talking about your career was you've been in both marketing and sales roles and even right in recru- recruiting roles like where you're doing a lot of cold calls to try and find people to take jobs. What has been that transition between a more sales focused role to a marketing role? And what do you think others can learn from that? It's a question that comes up a lot in podcasts and and other you know pieces of content, actually, and when I meet people in person especially marketers sometimes or you know people trying to move from sales to marketing or marketing to sales or vice versa and what's the value of having different types of backgrounds i mean for me i think one of the main advantages of of coming from a sales background into then a cmo marketing role is you definitely learn the the finite processes around selling and the difficulties of selling and and, and what it is like being a salesperson and an appreciation of of what's required, plus also doing the role yourself um, gives you the understanding of the sales process. And it's not to say that marketers who haven't got a sales background don't understand that, but I do think if you've been exposed to sales and then move into marketing, it does give you this really fantastic combination of skills uh, that um, th- that uh, you can really then sort of 10x your your sort of deliverables from a marketing point of view because you, you you get your peers that you're working with and I think uh, everyone loves sales in an organization you know they're the main focus and you know the CRO is the most important person theoretically because it's sales related and it's important you get on with your CRO or your sales peer and and I've always found they 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 really appreciate if you understand the sales angle and, and they see that you're maybe not just a marketer who who doesn't get sales process um and 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 then to your other point on how do you transition i i think it's i i I don't know in essence like the best way to say how do you transition i think i've always had the the approach of uh because i sort of landed in where i wanted to go not not necessarily in in a really structured structured manner but there were a couple of core principles which is always work hard always be proactive in what you do and work on your communication style you know build a good network of people that respect what you do and and peers that respect what you do and and then this magical thing happens if if you do that and and create that sort of environment for yourself over over years and and add value to people is that you know things certain things work out you don't know that a CRO a, a peer you had as a salesperson someday in five years gets a CRO job and he has a head of marketing he's looking to hire. And you may not be a head of marketing, but he knows you're great at marketing and you might be great for that role. So I think it's sometimes hard to think so far ahead and being structured about it. It's more about you know, deliver great work, um, be curious, great, create good connections with people and over deliver, you know, be a great person to work with and then and then you just build this really strong network of people that see you as a really really competent individual and and then out of that i'm sure opportunities will will arise in the future 
So for me, I moved from a primarily marketing role for most of my career. I've always been involved in like the sales process or helping with sales, but I've never, you know, been quota carrying as a true rep. And I recently moved to lead both sales and marketing. And I think what's interesting is I hear from a lot of people, they're like, well, how did you do that? And I'm like, well, I've always been closely aligned with sales. And I think, you know, the sometimes people think that you can't necessarily get into sales in a leadership role unless you've been a sales rep. What's your thought mm-hmm. and experience on that? Like, have you seen people been be successful with it when they've never previously, you know, carried the bag, so, so to say? I think I think this is an age-old dichotomy which people always discuss, isn't it? Uh, into like, does a good salesperson make a great sales director or VP of sales? And uh, I don't think there's a straightforward answer. I think the the answer is it it can work, um, but then a lot of the time it it doesn't work. I don't, uh, you know, some people think, oh, a great salesperson will never be a good VP of sales. And, and some will say the opposite. And it's it's definitely on a case-by-case basis because it, it's really, really down to the individual's capability to um, want to invest in leadership and uh, leadership skills and coaching skills and how to manage people. Because what happens more often than not is you're a single AE or senior AE who is the top-forming rep consistently over time and time again. Because of that, without any investment in leadership coaching or their own personal investment in leadership coaching, they get promoted because it's it's you promote your top performer. And I think that's more of a probably a um, an indictment of maybe poor management of not understanding the individual you're managing if it doesn't work out because um, because a lot of the time the best salesperson isn't going to be the best VP of sales. Um, and I wouldn't say I have, you know, I'm perfect, but I, I could, I've, I've always over time had a good steer on who I think would make that transition and who would be effective changing roles, and and who wouldn't. And more often than not, I've seen that come true um, with with my experience. So it's really down to each individual, and then and then if you're their manager or their their leader, you have to um, you have to decide what's best, and and often. Although it's great to promote from within, it's 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 often the case it's not the best idea to promote your best performing salesperson, the VP of sales, but to get someone in who is a VP of sales or who is a you know senior AE but has clearly got more of a leaning towards leadership capabilities than than someone else. No, I think that's really great. One of the things that I think a lot about too is everyone wants to be a leader, but sometimes when you get into it, you realize it's not as fun as people think it is. Being the boss isn't always, isn't always, it's definitely not easy and it's not not always fun. So I've seen a lot of people, especially, you know, senior AEs move into leadership roles and, you know, after a few months they're like, I just don't enjoy this. I'd rather just be selling again. Exactly. And I've, I've seen that like you've mentioned over and over again it's and and also managing people over the years i i often continually have one-to-ones with, with people in in teams over the years uh, because i've always managed i've managed sales inside sales marketing and and that they always say you know i want to go into a sales manager role or a, or, or an inside sales person says i want to be inside sales manager and i think it's just because sometimes people don't reflect on what they actually want to do they 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 make the presumption on what they think is the norm that should happen which is right inside sales sales senior sales vp of sales cro it, it's that linear and i don't think it is and i think if it, people need to reflect and be honest with themselves like what's the actual work you enjoy doing 
not necessarily I need to prove that I need to become a CRO because you you, you won't be happy doing that and you've got to really really want to to do that type of thing I had the same conversation with someone the other day a senior marketer who said yeah, I'm quite stressed because I want to become a CMO and and then you know when you unpick it all as to well, why do you actually want to do it it's again it's more based on the uh, the theory of it, it, it's the done thing and the the linear career path and and it, it, it's not always the case and so I think anyone in you know any salesperson thinking of oh I have to be a CRO take a step back and think about actually what you enjoy doing um, and managing people is really really hard as you probably know uh, it's a challenge a completely different challenge to to being a single rep and you have to be up for that challenge and invest in yourself to become a better person better leader uh, and better coach to individuals. So one of the things you just mentioned is a coach to individuals. And I think that's one thing that I find a lot of people when they move into leadership roles are don't realize how much of what they're doing is truly coaching and trying to help people get better. I think you mm -hmm. think, well, I'll just assign you a like in sales, I'll assign you a quota or in marketing, I'll assign you projects. And yeah, you know, part of that is managing to make sure they get done, they get done correctly. But also part of it is really coaching and helping them grow and helping them learn. So the next time they do something, they're better at it. And so they can grow in their career. And I, I think sometimes if you haven't experienced that, you know, at, with a leader that has helped coach you earlier on in your career, it's really hard. I've found for people to mm -hmm. understand how important that is. So thinking about that, are there any personality traits that you've seen that have really made, you know, strong reps turn into strong sales leaders or even strong, you know, individual contributors that are marketers turn into strong CMOs, VPs of marketing? Um, yeah, I think it, I, I think the, the ones who transition well are the ones who really invest in themselves early and building out their, you, you know, the ability to, to manage people and, 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 uh, and often doing it on the side, outside of you know, work, uh, and it's a, it's a hard. Sometimes, again, I think if I look back to how I've done things, I, I didn't necessarily, you know, when I first started managing people when I was twenty three, didn't really have any management skills, and you 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 have to you have to do a lot of reading, learning. You know, I I, I hired a coach at the time to help me. Uh, again, you have to look at things, investing in yourself a lot and making sure that um, you're doing that. Um, so I guess my advice, if you're trying to transition to, to become a leader, you have to, you have to really want to invest in yourself in, in doing that and, and do it a lot outside of the, the workplace and then, uh, and then really build that out as a core capability. And, and just, you have to obsess around, around leadership basically and, and wanting to learn about that particular topic. So kind of, off of that, thinking about marketing and sales, we've talked a lot about mm -hmm. how it is to get that leadership role. We've talked a lot about personality traits, but one of the things that I always find is successful organizations, especially in B2B, have a really close aligned sales and marketing team. How have you seen sales and marketing teams mm -hmm. in your career struggle to work together effectively? And what have you seen that's caused them to be successful? Uh, it definitely is a challenge for sure. Uh, I've, I've, again, I, I don't think anyone's ever solved it per se, but there's, there's obviously naturally examples of where there's uh, been good sales and marketing alignment and, and really bad. I, th I think the, the most important thing is making sure that um, the two peers at the top of sales and marketing have a good relationship. And, and a good relationship is not necessarily 
friends down the the bar or the pub um it's it's more about having a being on the same wavelength with how you manage teams not necessarily the same style but the same wavelength the same understanding of what and how you deliver things and 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 how you push for results and then also uh, a common ground around expectations from both sides what is the marketing responsibility what is the sales responsibility and then having the ability to hold each other accountable um from that end and and treat it you know you know your peer should be should be treated similar to a an individual you're managing um so you should have a weekly one-to-one with your cro if you're a cmo it's probably the most one of the most important relationships you have there was a joke quote i think i saw the other day on linkedin around that the the per the number one person who gets a cmo sacked is the cro and i think that point it is definitely true because the CRO can easily moan about marketing not delivering um, and and the CMO can't really do much about that actual scenario. Um, but if you can make sure you create that strong alignment with them, uh, that that will never happen. And you've got to create the you're in it together mentality that revenue is both your responsibility. It's, it's not just the responsibility of of him or her. Um, but you know really feel for them and make sure that you're bought into that as as your goal not not your you've done your bit because you've generated your pipeline because i think that that can happen a lot and i i think uh, people keep having these discussions over the years uh, and, and and it can be a bit cliched I, I think a lot of it and a lot of the advice is the same and but i think honestly it is very simple it's the relationship uh, and all those points i just mentioned and then how you and how you work together um, and, and if you get that right, then you can solve a lot of the problems around sales and marketing alignment. If you if you don't have that, you just can't. It's just never possible. And so it's very simple in my in my eyes. I loved what you said about how you need to work together and not just be friends that hang out at the bar, because I think that's such a big, important differentiator. Like for me, the relationships I've had with other sales leaders has always been like a true partnership. Yes, some mm-hmm. of them have become good friends with, but it's also been we've we've held each other accountable to what we said we were going to do. So for mm-hmm. instance, if I said as a marketing leader, I'm going to deliver X number of, you know, MQLs to sales, you know, if I don't, he calls me to the carpet on that, right? Mm-hmm. And vice versa, if, you know, we agree upon SLAs for calling those and it's not happening, that's something that, you know, I can hold him accountable to. I think that's to me Absolutely. a bit it's a big Absolutely. thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and 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 that, and it's really important based on your point there as, as well. In in when you're then in a board meeting scenario or a leadership team meeting, because the worst outcome for you as a CMO is to have the CRO uh, putting some narrative around not enough leads or or not enough MQLs or sales or meetings. Crappy ones. Or crappy ones that just it's throws you under the bus and it's not a good situation to be in. The, the best is you're always aligned with each other and prepare together for both your quarterly reviews, for both your board updates and your LT updates, so that you're supporting each other's challenges and that it, it's not him throwing you under the bus and then you feeling like you have to be defensive and say, well, your team aren't converting enough. You, you need to really avoid that situation as much as you can and work together in a joint narrative. I couldn't agree more. Otherwise, it just turns into a hot mess. 
So I know we talked earlier um, about, but before we even hopped on the interview about, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about 2020, I know you said early on when you started talking about how you're, you know, really thinking about what you're doing next year. What do you think about all of your marketing spend and resources for 2020? What are those strategies, channels, and tactics that you think you should heavily invest in and why? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good question, because we're in the process of 2020 planning right now and budgets and where we spend. The short answer to that is I think there's always trends each year and and, and where, you, you know, kind of look, look, you talk to peers, you read about trends for the following year, where should you invest? And I think what always happens is just natural inclination, people default to the standard channels and then uh, and then spend 80% or 90% of their budget with that and then use the rest to think of doing an experiment or trying something out. Whereas actually my approach to that is more embedded in all the channels. So obviously there's only six core channels within within marketing or seven, you know, outbound marketing, uh, demand generation, uh, brand marketing, uh, digital and, and, and my philosophy is more how can you and, and this is why I encourage my teams is how can we look at innovative um, tools processes strategies tactics in each specific channel and and be ahead of the curve um, in those in, in each one and what can we invest in that's going to give us maybe a slight miniature competitive advantage in each in each of the in each of the channels that we're looking at and always being evolving in that regard because all of these things again marketing and sales it moves so quick you have a competitive advantage from a tactic or a tool or a process within a three to six month period or six to 12 months and then your competition or the market catches up and so how can you create a budget that is servicing traditional channels but within those traditional channels you're embedding an innovative mindset to what you can do within each one um, and, and how maybe you can find one thing in each or one or two things in each which is a is a new brand new tool is a brand new distribution mechanism is a new messaging format is something that's new within that and and actually invest and, and make a bet on it and and then if you can make the bet on it and it works, then you're in a really, really good spot. Uh, you know, if it doesn't quite work, then you can always adapt. But um, I think if you take that approach, then it you can definitely um, be more innovative in your approach and the way you invest your money. No, I agree. So one of the other things we do on the show is we just make all quick hits where I ask you really quick questions and I'll what I want is your immediate like gut reaction to them, okay? Yep, sure. Go ahead. All right. So what's the one thing you wish every marketer would do? Learn the sales process. What's one thing you wish marketers would stop doing right now? Talking about uh, talking about MQL growth preach on that one (laughs) what's the one thing every marketer should know the connection between how what we do converts into the actual sales pipeline and what's the most frustrating thing about marketing Uh, i think our lack of ability to prove value in what we're doing to the business 
One of my favorite aspects of the show is getting to chat with really talented leaders in a wide variety of industries with very different backgrounds. And with every conversation, I know I'm always challenged to think about a topic in a different manner than I would have otherwise. And I hope you have the same experience after hearing my conversation with Edwin. Now let's dive into my top three takeaways from that conversation. First, I really loved his perspective about how he's constantly asking himself how he can do things differently. How can he look at something and find a different approach or a spin on the topic to make himself or his company stand out? And his example of using email and outreach way back when, when no one else was doing it before, is a great example of this idea. The idea of constantly challenging yourself to think differently about how you would tackle a problem is something we can all learn from and something we can implement into our daily lives immediately. So how many times have you sat back and thought about changing up what you're doing in a specific channel or tactic or trying a completely different approach, even if what you're doing already is working? Oftentimes we get complacent until things stop working rather than being proactive, constantly changing what we're doing to make sure we're always one step ahead of the competition. This type of mindset can not only help you continually deliver incredible results, but it's also what's going to help you stand out from others in the industry. The gap between the average marketer and the exceptional marketer is getting bigger and bigger every single day. And I really think this type of mindset of constantly being proactive and constantly challenging yourself, is going to help you really set yourself apart. Next, not everyone should be a manager. I know it's oftentimes the most logical step in your career path at some point, but the reality of management is very different than what you probably think it is. It means that you're not only responsible for delivering the overall results for your team, but you're also responsible for ensuring everyone on your team is growing constantly, which means you're always playing this role of a coach. It also means that you have to continually invest in yourself and obsess over leadership. Management is definitely not all rainbows and puppies. It's challenging hard and can be very rewarding if it's something you really want to do. But don't feel like it's the only way to grow in your career. You can still be extremely successful without ever managing a team. And if you do happen to get a role in management and you don't like it once you're there, it's completely normal. Many people become managers and realize that they're much happier being an individual contributor. And that's why you really need to think about what you want from your career and don't think it has to be what the normal career path is. It should be what's best for you. Finally, marketing and sales need to be best friends. And I'm not talking about friends that just hang out the bar together. I'm talking about best friends who hold each other accountable, trust each other and have each other's backs. Edwin's comment about how the easiest way for a CMO to get fired is by the CRO is a very true statement. I've seen it happen. It's very easy for sales and marketing to have an adversarial relationship if they're not truly aligned on responsibilities, metric and metrics, and so much more. I'm personally a big fan of having weekly one-on-ones between the sales and marketing leaders. If there's something that I've done in my career that's been really successful, it's that being really close to my sales counterpart. The more the two of us are in agreement on the role that you play for the business, the better results you're going to see. Marketing cannot be successful without sales and sales cannot be successful without marketing. The sooner you realize that and start working together, the better results you'll see. I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit Limivate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.